The following resource is by CBC Mokopani. For more resources like this, check out our website at www.christbaptistmokopani.com. Lord Jesus, this morning we give thanks. We give thanks for your word that has been revealed to us and for us. We give thanks for how you sustain us, how you bless us with your grace, how you bless us with the breath of life. And so this morning, once again, we want to stand before you and, and just be in awe of what you are doing in our lives individually, but also as a church, uh, also in, in this community. Lord, I'm thankful for how you've added to our number. And as we look across the room this morning, we pray for those uh, members and associate members, visitors who aren't with us. We ask your grace upon their lives as well. But we also do pray this morning, Lord, that as we move from observing your word to applying your word, and we ask that your grace would be with us and that you would give us a boldness to pursue obedience and the outworking of our salvation. So, Father, we pray this in your Son's name. Amen. All right, so we are in Philippians chapter 4 this morning. Uh, we won't take a lot of time. As you know, our service is containing a lot, some administration as well. But nonetheless, I don't think we should ever shy away from God's Word, no matter how much or how little time we do have. So Philippians chapter 4, it's a book we've been in, and I think in a sense for those of you who were here when we studied Philippians, I think it was back in 2017-2018, um, um, you'll be more or less familiar with the context in which Paul writes this letter. Uh, but let me just give you some context before I go into the passage and actually read it for us. Now, to understand the book of Philippians, Paul's writing this letter while he's in prison. And he's encouraging the Christians in Philippi, not just concerning their contentment, but also he's teaching them about an attitude of prayer. He's teaching them about the advancement of the gospel, that living for the glory of Christ is worth more than anything we can ever have on this earth, right? And, and in doing so, he gives us application by giving the example of Christ's humility, even his humility to the point of death, death on a cross. Furthermore, as Paul always does, is he warns the church of false teachers who are lurking, who want to rob the bride of Christ, who want to disrupt the building of the church and the preaching of the word. And nonetheless, we get to chapter 4, and Paul begins chapter 4 with an exhortation. And he prays once again for these believers. And from verse 8 he says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Right? So Paul was very applicational in his letter. But Paul moves on. 
Not now after he tells the believers, live in such a way that honors and glorifies God. Right? Especially with what you meditate on. Because we can say the, the right things. We can know a, not, a lot of theological words and kind of just say them and not live them. Or say them and not believe them. We can also serve the community through charitable work. And kind of have a stance in the community because of such good labors, right? And they mean nothing because they are from a heart of selfish ambition. We want human eyes to see us. We want human mouths to praise us. And that's why Paul here refers to our consciousness. That which is in our heart. Let us therefore meditate on these things. And then he goes on to talk about God's provision. And I love how he flows from that to God's provision. Because the things we think about are not usually or necessarily the truth. Let me explain. If we know that God is sovereign, meaning He is all-powerful and that all things are below Him, yet we doubt. Our doubting is not us doubting our own strengths or experiences but it's us doubting the same God who we say is sovereign so we're believing a lie so we're meditating on a lie he says think about whatever is honorable what is honorable that which glorifies God that which brings him praise yet we go out and we do the opposite it's because we're not thinking about what honors him he says think about whatever is just Wherever is pure. Friends, if we were constantly meditating on that which is pure, then we wouldn't be having a men's group breakfast every month discussing the impact of impurity. He says, think about whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. Think about that which is of excellence and worthy of praise. Paul tells us to do this because we don't do it. And, and part of why we're not doing it is because we're not looking at the hand of God. We are doubting God's provision. We are doubting God's work in our lives. Therefore, Paul goes on to say in verse 10, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. Now at length, you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Therefore, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. My dear friends, Paul tells us that he learned the secret of contentment. Can I tell you a secret so it's no longer a secret? The secret of contentment is understanding and embracing the providence of God. God's providence doesn't always look like what you desire. And that's why you are discontent. Let's just use a ridiculous illustration. All right? You're praying for a specific car because you need a vehicle. You need a mode of transport. And so God provides a mode of transport, but it's not what you desire. 
My question is, what does your heart look like? Are you truly rejoicing in the providential hand of God? Or are you saying, thank you Lord, but I want it better. I want it more. Friends, that's discontentment. Paul says, I have learned to be content in every situation. And now when Paul speaks about learning contentment, it's regardless of his circumstances. He's telling the the church in Philippi, he knew that God was providentially at work. Listen to what he says at the end of verse 10. He's thankful that they have revived their concern. And he says, you were indeed concerned, but you had no opportunity. So there was a, a time when the church in Philippi couldn't support Paul. Yet, they didn't stop praying for him. They didn't stop reaching out to him. They just couldn't provide for him. And then he says, not that I'm speaking of need, because I have learned contentment. I know what is the secret of, of facing these things, these circumstances. You see, the Philippian church was a major supporter of, of Paul's mission work. Um, especially in his first visit to Philippi. And so now when Paul writes this letter, it had been 10 years since he was last in Philippi. Acts chapter 16, for context, relates to what happened during this first um, visit. I want to just summarize. We don't need to go and read that. But to summarize, Paul was traveling with, with his companions and he met a businesswoman named Lydia. Do you remember Lydia from the book of Acts? Now, Lydia, I propose, and, and I, according to Scripture, was having what's known as the first women's Bible study. Are you with me? The first ever women's Bible study that Lydia was hosting, right? And, and, and the result of this, the result of Paul and his companions meeting this woman and other faithful women and, and knowing there are other people in the area... A church was started. And so the result of this formation of, of this church, during the early days of, of the church, Paul was there ministering in the area. And there was a young girl who was possessed with a spirit. And she kept following Paul and his companions. And this girl was, or this spirit of, of whatever it was, was following them along, announcing to everyone who this is. This is Paul. And this is the message of Paul. And they got so annoyed by this young girl that they turned around and he rebuked the spirit and she was cleansed. As the story goes, the people who she was working for found out about this. And now they have a gap in the opportunity they had of making money. So they wanted to have Paul taken off the planet of the face of the planet, right? They were livid. And so they had Paul flogged. They threw him in prison. Um, and so to say, they locked him down forever. Now we know that's not how prison worked in these, in these days. Now instead of complaining about these miserable situations, Paul found himself, as in the letter, praising God and thanking God, even singing at night, singing songs of praise and psalms. Yet he is experiencing a miserable situation. The next thing that happened 
God responds in an amazing way. God shakes the foundations of the prison so violently that the doors are open. Are you following me? The chains fell off the prisoners and they left. I think it's an incredible experience. And, and Paul's response was to dismiss these circumstances, these, these terrible mishaps. Like, woe is me, why is this happening to me? He dismissed that. And instead, what happened is, the young jailer, Paul and them met with this young jailer before he was about to kill himself. And he heard the gospel and was saved. I mean, listen, can you see God's providential hand through all of it? You could almost say that the purpose of Paul rebuking this, this spirit, being in prison, was so that a young jailer would come to salvation. But it's much more than, than just that. It leads to his, house, his household experiencing salvation. And so that as the church grew in Philippi, they could reach out to Paul and, and, and support him financially. But according to verse 10, it tells us there was a point where this church could no longer carry Paul. Still, they did not stop praying for him and being concerned about him. And so, Paul was fine with that. Paul was content with the situation at hand. Paul knew he wasn't that they were lacking concern. They were lacking opportunity. Listen, let me just insert something here. We tend to become upset with those around us because they have no concern for us. Paul could have done the same thing. Yet Paul realized it wasn't their concern, but the opportunity. They didn't have the resources. They didn't have the means. Still, they were concerned for him. And so he writes, You have revived your concern for me. He's using an agricultural term. You have bloomed for me again. Right? You have sprouted for me again. It's like saying your love has flowered again for me. And the point is that Paul had been patient. And his patience, or the confidence of his patience, was in God's sovereign providence. He was content to do without and just wait on the Lord's timing. Paul didn't panic. Listen, Paul was in a position where he could reach out to any and all of the churches and manipulate them and say, hey, I am the guy who started these ministries. I think it's time that you invest. I think it's time that you pour out. But he didn't do that. In fact, there were churches, as we read in the book of Acts, where Paul encouraged them to not support him. So he did the opposite. We could almost say that, that Paul saw God's handprint everywhere he went. And, and that's what made him unswayed. You know, when you read the, the final verses of, of um, 2 Timothy, yeah, I get so emotional when I read it because I know, and Paul knew that was the end. Those were his last words, his last written words inspired by the Holy Spirit. But he knew that was the end. That he was about to be, he was about to go on trial and be executed. Did he complain about it? Did he wish for a different situation? 
Now the last thing he did was encourage young Timothy to work on, to labor on for the sake of the gospel. So we can say that Paul's imprisonment turned out for the, the spreading of the gospel in Philippians 1 verse 12. In Philippians 3 verse 10, we saw that when Paul was suffering, it was an opportunity of fellowship in Christ. And therefore, Paul's response to the sight of death is that it is gain. The sum of death in Christ is life. It doesn't take away, it adds. It adds. Paul knew this. And so we can kind of say Paul's economy and the church's economy is this. There is nothing that the world holds which is more valuable than knowing Christ. There is nothing more valuable than knowing Christ. And for that reason, Paul was able to live through the sunshine and the storms of life, yet he remained with like an unshakable contentment. It doesn't mean Paul was passive. Listen, Paul didn't sit in prison and say, let go and let God. Paul was still preaching the gospel. Paul was still actively praising God. Paul was still meeting with some of his companions and encouraging them and training them. So he wasn't sitting in prison or sitting with his circumstances and saying, well, I'm going to let go and let God. And I think until we truly learn that God is sovereign, that God is ordering everything for His own holy purposes and the ultimate good of those who love Him, then we will remain discontent. might say, but pastor, what about when someone I love is diagnosed with an illness that leads to suffering all their life until their final breath? What about a child that's taken away? What about the loss of all material things? What about these things? Does God really order these things for His own holy purposes and for our ultimate good? If we look at Paul's life as a testimony, then yes. 100% yes. Listen, it doesn't take away the sympathy or the empathy towards those. Of course, the scripture tells us to mourn with those who mourn and Rejoice with those who rejoice. Now, if we are to take responsibility in ordering our lives, then we will be frustrated. Because we want to fix things according to our strength and our capabilities. My dear friends, um, we spoke about this not too long ago. But Proverbs 16 tells us, Something that is profound. That you can go about your business making plans. And that we should in a sense. But God has the final say. And you know because God has the final say. That should give us contentment. When things don't work out our way. Do you hear me? There's a reason things do not work out our way. But we want to get upset about it. Paul says, I have learned to be content. 
And I think learning to be content is to trust that God's sovereign hand is upon us. That everything is under control. But it's under control by someone far greater than you and I. Let me pray for us. Lord, as we hear these words, I know we're sitting here thinking and meditating. But what about this? What about that? When or how? Still, your miraculous hand shows us throughout the scriptures that you are not shy to provide. When you provide, you provide in abundance. You provide for the necessary needs. You provide at times more than we would ever imagine. Lord, your own words to us in the scriptures is that we are worth far more than the birds of the air and the lilies of the field. And therefore, our worry should be less because you will ensure that we are taken care of. And so Lord, as we trust in your sovereign hand upon our lives, that you will provide, that we can remain content in whatever situation. I pray also that in, our, in your grace, we would still prepare our day, prepare our resources as if it depended upon us while knowing it depends completely on you alone. Our Father, we thank you for this good news and we pray it in your name. Amen.